Welcome back, everyone. This is episode... Bobby, what is it? We said 42? Episode 42. Episode 40. Yeah, the big 4-2. Jackie Robinson. That is a good 4-2, though. It's a good number. Um, Welcome back. We are so thankful you're here on the Morning Brushback. Appreciate you. Um, Bobby, you've had an interesting week. On on Twitter, do you want to elaborate on some of um, the litigation tweets that you sent out here? I'm I, what the call what the kids call semi-viral famous now, just for a tweet. So I put out a tweet. Um, I won't I won't read it verbatim, but it basically there were two instances just this past week uh, involving some parents. One with uh, one with my program, one with uh, opposing team we played. Um, one, our program was just threatening litigation against myself for playing time, which was handled. I talked to the parents, uh, you know, whatever, had conversations. And then, uh, I believe it was Saturday. Um, so Saturday afternoon, we're playing a team. Uh, we're in Indianapolis. I did the podcast Friday from Indianapolis. So we're playing in Indianapolis. Game ends. Uh, we win the game 14-13, real barn burner of, of sloppy baseball. And I'm walking to the car after the game, and the other team's coach is, in the, is sitting in his car, and a parent crosses my face, just sprinting across the parking lot. And when I sprinting, like, it was 100 degrees outside. I mean, this guy was breaking a sweat. And he's screaming, expect litigation, expect litigation, expect litigation, at the coach's car. Mind you, I was there the whole game. I didn't see the coach do anything absurd to any of the players. I didn't see him say anything ignorant or anything anything of that matter to any of the players. I did witness some of their parents yelling from the stands. What, what they thought they were yelling at was something that one of our players said. The umpire pulls his mask off, stops the game, yells back into the stands and says that their catcher is the one saying it to shut up and let the kids play. So that was like a mid-game incident. I didn't tweet it out. I just thought it was funny. Umpire had a pretty good handle on everything that was going on. But we're walking, you know, guys running across the parking lot yelling, expect litigation at this coach who's sitting in his car with the window up because it's 100 out. I'm not sure if he heard him until he got right up close to the window. And everybody that had just either played in that game or was a spectator was in that parking lot. Not exactly the biggest parking lot. It would, I would have been embarrassed. Uh, you know, I don't know how the parents felt. It was just, it was something to witness just for this, like to wrap youth sports into a nice little bow. <laughs> and what it is. It was just, I mean, it was, it was totally uncalled for. For, I don't know. I, honestly, I don't know what the guy could have done that would have provoked this parent to do that. Um, the starting pitcher of the game threw two pitches, said his shoulder hurt. Coach took him out. Um, I mean, the coach. I was coaching third base. Coach went out there and he's he's like, "Are you are you all right?" And he goes, "My arm hurts." And the coach just said verbatim, "He's like, you need to tell me that before we start the game." And he said, "Just the kid said it just started to hurt the second pitch." So, so you that, think it was you think it was that or 
I don't know if it was that. I honestly, I couldn't. We're, I couldn't spe- we're just speculating at this I'm point. I'm speculating, but. but that was the only thing during the game. I mean, the coach did not. He was not swearing. If anything, I was definitely the out of the two of us, the one louder, yelling about, you know, where the kids need to be. You know, I was on our kids a lot more than he was on their kids. Yeah. And he was, I mean, by all accounts, not swearing, not. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I honestly, I could, I couldn't tell you why this parent was so upset. Maybe the kid didn't play. Who knows? But it was, it was very inappropriate. Just from a, you know, the tournament director, guy that's running the site, and it was an offsite, so you know, it's basically a college kid just sitting there keeping score. Yeah, had to come out. I mean, parents were. It got, it got heated, and it was, it was put into a tweet because it was so insane. I felt like I needed to share it with the Twitterverse, and it went. I mean, like. like to a hundred some retweets and it went crazy. People sharing really their own your stories. Weekend. That's all you want to be is Twitter famous. That's that's you in a nutshell. I, basic. I basically I basically want to make sure that anything absurd I witness in my own life, everyone else gets to share in it. This seems accurate. Well, I mean, the weird thing, I think it's sad because obviously there's way more good parents than there are bad ones as far as sports. But it, just like everything in life, you know, imagine you write a nice article or you make a whatever. You're always going to remember the three people that were jerks to you about it that thought it was trash, right? Yep. Then the 97 people that liked it and read it. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's sad that we, uh, we always highlight the negative stuff in life because we do. And parents, the vast majority are great and they're fine and they get it for the most part. And then there's a large chunk in the bell curve that – probably doesn't quite understand what's important, but they're still not psychotic about it. Like they're just still good. They just wish they, they just probably could, they could probably do better if they had a little more info and coaching as what a, what a sports parent should be, what they should do and what they shouldn't. Um, I don't think it comes from a place of like nastiness. You know what I mean? I think it just comes from a place of like, they don't know what's protocol, but then there's a lot of psychos that want to litigate about calling a two, two change up. It's like, like okay, um, it's, I don't know. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, the, some there's of the definitely... responses were good. Like there were some of the responses on Twitter were good. Some of them were a little head scratchy. Um, you know, well, again, that's Twitter. Yeah, yeah. But it, most, of, I mean, most of them were good. Definitely, uh, I definitely had a bunch of people reach out to me. The second one wasn't me. That wasn't wasn't somebody running at me across parking lot. It was just the second instance of threatening to sue. I saw yeah, a week. You've heard the word litigation on a baseball field more than I've ever heard it in my twice in a week, which is impressive. Career. It was impressive. So I felt felt like I should just I don't know let everybody know that this is probably not an appropriate way to attack your son's coach. Or it's not, you shouldn't be attacking him at all. Like he's not, I've, I've had this discussion obviously a bunch since I tweeted it. It's well, we don't not, know, we don't know the context. Maybe he just, uh, and you weren't looking, he just quickly punched the kid in the face. You don't know. Maybe, maybe that happened in the fourth inning. If he, like he did, rolls over a ground ball and he punched him in the face real fast. You know, you don't know. Even, even in that scenario. It's a quick chat. Maybe he's like Floyd Mayweather, just like, like lightning fast and no one but, caught it with the kid's dad. <laughs> Like he saw Even it, in that know. scenario, if you're the dad, 
I feel like you punch him first and then say expect litigation mm, second. That's that's true. That's true. So you definitely go take him down. You have to punch if someone punches my kid, I feel like I'd have to punch them back. I don't want I don't want to litigate. Certainly, certainly to, you would. Certainly you yeah. would. Which which also coincidentally, did you see that softball video from a softball tournament? No, but it sounds just the lead. Well, there, there. Were, I don't, yeah, I don't know what the context was, but there was there's like a five minute video of uh, parents not letting the umpires leave the field essentially after the game, oh and then God. one of them like made it physical, and then an umpire like punched a guy in the face, and I don't know who was defending who. I didn't like. You have a right to defend yourself, obviously, if things get physical. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't care at all, like who was in the right. People were all speculating about it. But, you know, just like another on-field adults brawling situation. It's like, what are, what's, what's happening in the world? But again, that's, not, that's also not normal. It's like, it's so, that's what's so weird about today's society is that this is like, there's never been a time where literally everything we do is caught on video. Like literally everything is caught on video. And so these incidences get brought up as if they're commonplace, which it's not clear that they are. Like, I've never seen parents brawl the field. I've seen some parents do weird things, but not that often either. Because, again, like I said, most parents are pretty great. They're, they're solid. But, you know, these get brought to light, and you're like, oh, the youth, youth sports is just decaying into this, this terrible place. But I'm not sure that it, it is that much. Like, it's not. No. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I always had we, – we had just were very lucky in my academy, and part of that's probably the Midwest. I think the Midwest people are – they're just a little different than they are on the east coast we are and you're in chicago i mean it's not i don't know if it's good or bad but i think there's just like a more probably bad they're probably just it's, a little better than the east coast but right. maybe a little less entitlement but regardless there's just uh i don't know it's it seems like on one hand it is like the apocalypse because of the way media is again everything's caught on tape but then it's probably not really that way so i don't know it was it was quite the sight. I felt compelled to share it. I thought it was hilarious that I heard a threatening to sue twice in a week on a baseball field. Well, my overarching point of the tweet was, do you because they're both uh, it both happened to be fifteen u baseball. I said, do you is there any wonder where kids are getting like their behavior from? Like if this is what I'm witnessing from the parents. Is it a wonder that we've got, and we don't really have problem kids in the pro in my program that much, but that seems to be something that resonates on Twitter. Like, Oh, kids are disrespectful at a younger age. Like they, you know, they don't show as much respect. They don't, they act out, they feel entitled quote unquote. So that was, that was kind of my overarching point. Like, well, if this is what's the adults are acting like you can't expect the kids to be, you know, more mature or have more of a, uh, more of a, I guess, adult-like outlook. What do you would consider adult-like outlook when this, this is what they're seeing. I mean, they're, they're 15 years old. They're seeing their parents run across a parking lot yelling at their coach. Probably makes them feel a little bit like I can do what I want. So. Well, that's not that wrong. Like I mean, kids definitely emulate adults for better or for worse. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating time we live in. In other news, 
I went for a 30 minute run the other day and only breathed out of my nose as an experiment. So we were talking I a little s- about breathing last time. You see my tweet. I saw you tweet that and I was trying to wrap my head around. Were you just trying to punish yourself or dude? So, so this book, we didn't get into this last, last episode, but this book breath by James Nestor, which I recommend, it's really interesting. It's not just about like performance, but just about health in general. And the way our bodies change from like mouth breathing and the food that we eat and stuff like that. But um, essentially it's like very well known in the animal kingdom and in, I mean, humans are animals, but just breathing through your nose is like the way we're, I guess, kind of designed. And uh, so when there was one study done in the book on cyclists that they were, they had them do this ramp up workout, like some elite cyclists, like doing this ramp up workouts where they're eventually pushing out like 200 Watts on the bike. Like I'm not a biker, so I don't really know how much 200 Watts is, but that's what they mentioned. So it's like this. And these elite cyclists are just like, (laughs) just panting because they're like going full bore at the end. And then they redo the study and they ask them to do the same exact workout, only breathing through their nose. And what they found was uh, when they were breathing through their nose, it became vastly easier for them to take way fewer breaths. So they were taking something like 47 breaths a minute when they were just doing it on their own, breathing however they wanted. Right. And then they were asked to breathe out of their nose. They get, some got as low as 14 breaths per minute, which is really low. That's four seconds. That's, that's two seconds in, two seconds out. That was actually faster than that. That's controlling um, your breathing for sure. Yeah, but the, the thing is you get actually a lot more air into your lungs for that many breaths. And one of the things they say in the book is that five and a half breaths per minute is the right amount given the volume of your lungs and how much oxygen you can actually use from each breath, which that was one of the interesting things about it was they're talking about, look, oxygen, like you can only get so much oxygen out of a breath and the longer the breath is in your body, you actually kind of absorb more of it, which also makes sense. So when you're holding your breath, you're still absorbing more oxygen. So if you take a breath that lasts one-tenth of a second or a breath that lasts one second, your body has more time to absorb oxygen from it in the one-second breath. So basically they said taking 61-second breaths isn't better than six, 10-second breaths potentially, you know? So anyway, I I went for a jog and I tried to not breathe out of my mouth the whole time. Now, this was easier said than done because after I, I'd say every like five minutes or so, I, I jogged for about half an hour. After every every five minutes, I started to feel like I was suffocating to death. <laughs> like, like I was underwater. Like I just needed more air. But the thing was, at those points, like I would take, you know, I would take a mouth breath to like catch myself up or as many as I needed. Whatever. Usually, like probably like a three to five. They weren't better. That was what was weird. So I'm jogging along. I'm doing okay. And then after a couple minutes, I'm like. I kind of feel like I'm going to suffocate. And then I'd say, <gasps> and these bigger breaths, they weren't better breaths. That was what was weird. It felt like the air was just going into my mouth, not really going into my lungs. Whereas with the nose breaths, it felt profoundly like it was shooting right down into my lungs. And this is something that's, that's why I would urge anyone who's active, who you're going to go exercise to do this a little bit and see if you feel, feel the same thing. Because the way I felt jogging for those like, because again, it was probably like every five minutes or so, I felt like I needed more air and it's like, okay, let's go back to the, and I, I really just didn't feel like it gave me more air. It just felt like mentally I was comfortable because my mouth's open, so I'm not going to die. Whereas you kind of feel a little trapped by only breathing out of your nose. But, um, 
it was really fascinating. I mean, there's lots of stuff. Like, I, I think that the one thing about the human body, which I've probably lost a little bit in the last couple of years, is just like the tinkering. When I was a young strength coach and learning about it in college, I was doing, I was eating new things. I was trying new supplements. I was just learning about all this stuff, right? And tinkering and trying new exercise and seeing how it affected my body. In the last like five years, like, you know, as a, and you probably have found the same thing as a pro athlete, like you get on cruise control, right? You're, you're still learning and adjusting your routine, but it's much smaller, right? Right. So this was one of the first things I can remember in recent memory that was like, oh, that's really interesting. I'm going to try that and experiment on myself and see how it is. And um, I have been breathing out of my nose in workout, in my strength training workouts, and it's definitely better. And every time I stopped, because I'm running through a city, and at times I have to stop for traffic lights, after jogging and then stopping, breathing just out of my nose is way better. It feels really like recuperative compared to mouth breathing. The only time it's a struggle at all is when I'm just like full on jogging and I was like, I want to post this really long hill. I felt like I was underwater a little bit at times, but um, that was also the first time I did it. So I'm curious as I continue to like try to breathe only out of my nose in everything that I'm doing, how that starts to change some more. But on the first try, like I made it, like 99.9% of my run only breathing out of my nose, which I thought was interesting. So, well, it's a pretty impressive, uh, feat. Cause I feel like, <laughs> I feel like after about three minutes, I'd be breathing just so I wouldn't pass out. So to like stay conscious of breathing out of your nose is part of the battle. I would think no, cause you're just almost running tight lipped. And when yeah. you run, mm-hmm. I, I ran cross country in like, grade school and it was like a thing everybody did you know there was nothing during that season so I ran cross country and the coach would always tell you to you know like try and keep your jaw loose and just breathe out of your nose who knew my eighth grade cross country coach who was basically just a dad had so much insight on how the body worked Mm -hmm. because I remember him saying I remember thinking that like that's not easy Running with my running, just bringing out my nose. Like, that's not, that's not very easy. So, I remember thinking that in like, when you, I saw the, I saw your tweet and I remember thinking, like, oh, I've heard this before. Breathe out of your nose. I don't know why it's better. It feels mm-hmm. like, feels normal. Feels like it's all going in the same spot. But it was, it's interesting that, that you get the, how you describe the, it's not getting to my lungs. Like it's mm-hmm. getting into my, it's getting into me, but it's not getting into my lungs. How that, I, re- how that I really is how it felt. It, and it was surprising because like I said, especially when I went up this, there's this really long hill um, where I live. And it's probably like a, if you're just, if you're jogging it, it's probably like a 45 second or a minute long hill. And it's really steep. And um, like I said, when I got to these points where I felt like I need more air, um, it just like, I didn't get it from my, it was only like a mental benefit opening my mouth to get that air in. Cause it just felt like it, it was just like slot, like a, just sloshed around my mouth and went back out. I just didn't like get in there, which is not what I expected. That was, that was, I think what was interesting was that I'm, I try to, when I do tinker on myself, I try not to like go full placebo effect and like, Oh, this is, you know, this is exactly what I thought it'd be. Like I tried to be objective. Like, is this actually better? But it really does seem like there's something to it. And you wonder why people get away from it. Like it, like if this was such a thing, like why do we breathe out of our mouth so much? But I don't really, when I'm in good shape, I don't breathe out of my mouth. And so that's why I've, before I read this book, I was already 
breathing out of my nose the vast majority of the time in my strength training workouts, which I've just been recently back on track with and, and also just like daily life. Cause like I said before, like I feel like when you're in good shape, your reward is that your breathing is slower. Like that's what I like about actually doing distance running. And I only distance run like three times a week, maybe is that when your lungs are in good shape, you just like, you're not panting doing normal things. Like that's right. like your reward. It's comfortable. Like you can just sit there and it's almost like you're not breathing. And when you're doing that breathing under your nose, it's like, it's, it's like a calming thing to do. It's easier. So anyway, I'm tired of talking about breathing. I feel like I got, I got what I wanted to say out, hey. but it was really interesting. If you're out there, I, I suggest, I highly suggest trying it and seeing how you feel. But, um, Damn. But yeah, Damn. you have a Malort yeah. shirt. Did they send that to you? They didn't, but I'm still no, waiting. They didn't. Um, they didn't. Somebody sent it to me. Somebody sent it to me. Much appreciated for our unofficial sponsor, Jepson's Malort. Thank you for sponsoring uh, episode 42 of the Morning Brushback. Dan, did you see History Was Made yesterday? Or, yeah, I Monday night. I didn't. Well, history Was Made in the baseball world. I'm surprised you're not on top of that. Uh, San Francisco Giants had the first woman to coach uh, in an on-field capacity in Major League Baseball. She coached first base. Alyssa Nakin if I'm mm-hmm. pronouncing that correctly. Okay, I actually did see that. Yeah, I just didn't know what you are talking about. She's co- she's So she's the first woman to have a full-time coaching position in the major leagues, and she's also the first, pers- first woman to coach in an on-field capacity, so first base coach. Um, thoughts, feelings, good for her? I'm trying to find some more information on her background. I don't, feel, I don't feel any sort of way about it. That's not me being negative because I assume if you're not like super rah rah about it, I just like, I don't feel any strong way about it. I don't feel strongly about first base coaches in general. So hey, that's probably that's probably a big reason why. I don't know. I mean, I think um, I don't know what her role is. I remember reading about her back in the day where it was kind of like, a, you know, she was going to be helping with some. I don't know, infield stuff. And it wasn't really clear through the articles that what I read, like what she was actually doing. Um, I think, and this is just my, again, just like gut feelings about it. I think when, um, like I know Rachel Balkovic is a hitting coach for a minor league team with the Yankee system, right? She's actually a hitting coach for one of the minor league teams. That to me feels more interesting because it seems like her role is much more hands-on I guess is how I would say it yeah Mm -hmm. and that's not a knock on Mr. Nakin or Mrs. Nakin at all it's just like that feels like she's like really like a full in your face like their everyday coach whereas first base coach is kind of like a ceremonial position and I'm not saying that it's ceremonial for or as a female, it's ceremonial for guys, for everybody. It's like first base coach is like a, just get a, you know, it's, it's a afterthought position. That's why in a lot of the yeah. minor leagues in an independent ball, a pitcher just goes out there and is first base coach. Um, and again, I think at the major league level, she's probably not helping guys with their swings. You know, she's probably not doing that kind of stuff. And I know that even like a lot of the, major league coaches aren't doing that much because they're major leaguers. Like they're kind of like on cruise control. They're the best in the world. They kind of do their thing. Right. Yeah. So that's why I like, I, when I think of like a female coaching position that makes me feel excited, like for the industry and for like, I think Rachel Balkovets is more important 
Now this is obviously like a big breakthrough, but it just seems like she's really in the trenches and she's going to like be hands-on with a lot of guys and actually like shape their careers. And that could be off balance. That could be off base. My opinion. Um, certainly not taking it's a it's a big milestone for for women in the industry for sure that's just my take on like the the actual like coaching depth of the role that's all yeah being a first professional first base coach myself it's a big deal i mean for sure it's it's definitely the least um how do i want to put it you know, you do the least out of the coaches. You're basically that, you know, I collect all the batting gloves and stuff and I basically save back on a pickoff and make sure they see the signs, but it's less, you're not, it's not like coaching. So essentially, like you said, like the hitting coach, you're in the cage, you're working with guys, you're like kind of prepping them to get ready. First base coach during the game is you're kind of keeping them focused on the game. Um, I mean, good for her. She's, it looks like she played uh, at Sacramento State, first mm-hmm. baseman. Yeah, uh, she's clearly a good player. Yeah, all conference, all four years, and then she's she's been with the Giants since 2014. Um, so she's it says in the operations, you know, as an intern and health and wellness. Um, she's got a master's in sports management. So I mean, she's this is like the path she wants. It seems like, but she won't be there in the dugout during the games there's a seven coach maximum and she was hired after that. So I think just these exhibition games, which have you seen any of these exhibition games? No, I don't care at all about it. It's brutal. It's brutal. <laughs> I did watch the Yankees uh, during the tournament went out to eat, watch the Yankees Mets game was on TV and I was watching a little bit and I found it hilarious. They put out, they cut out cardboard cutouts of people's heads on the, <laughs> on each, uh, on each seat, I found that hilarious. Like, can you just send your face in, and will they print it out and just put you? Or is it all the season ticket holders? Or they get like they, first yeah. Crack? Some some teams have done that with their season ticket holders. Like, you could you could like pay fifty bucks or something, I think, and and get your uh, your headshot out there. I don't know, but I found that hilarious. I think it's funny. I think more people should do it for sure. I saw your tweet, Dan, and I have I have heavy, th- you know, very important thoughts on this greatest post game meal ever. Yesterday, what's your go to? I've got big this is, thoughts. On this this is this is funny. I don't know if I want to reveal my my hand here. Um, all right, all right. Well, let me let me let me give my take on it. First of all, it's such a vague tweet. I need more context here. Are we talking like a ball? Are we talking t ball? Because, I mean, the T-ball go-to meal is Capri Sun and bag of Doritos. And there's no other correct answer. That's the right answer. For your T-ball post-game meal, you need the – I need the Capri Sun. And I don't want the orange slices on ice. I want the Doritos. Give me the 25-cent bag of Doritos. That's the correct answer. And I'm sorry. But if we're talking, are we talking A-ball? Are we talking, like, because the correct answer for A-ball, for anyone listening, is always big league rehab guy, caters out, outback steakhouse, small steak, burnt to a crisp, mashed potatoes, and probably, like, a side of broccoli. All in a styrofoam to-go box. That is the post-game meal for the A-ball player of all post-game meals. Now, if it's rookie ball... The post-game meal, fingers crossed, is the old hot dogs and hamburgers that weren't sold in the stands 
brought down to the clubhouse, laid on the table, have at it, boys, because you don't get a post-game meal in those on the, at that level. The college post-game meal, for me, we were in Chicago. I played a lot of games in local Chicago. A sub sandwich from a place in Spontano's in Chicago, that's the ultimate post-game for the NIU Husky Division I baseball player. Um, what other levels are we talking about? High school post-game meal. I feel like your parents take you to the local Miller's Ale House and you can get a burger of some sort. Hopefully you got a few hits and your dad doesn't yell at you in the middle of the restaurant. Um, what do you got for me, Dan? I mean, there's, I, there are, there are so many levels of the post game meal. I got to imagine a big league post game meal is so elaborate that you can't like, it doesn't even, they're all the same. You've got the chef there. I mean, you can get like egg white omelets post game meal. That's not real. That's not a real post game. Bobby, I feel very conflicted to talk about this this topic right now. Should we wait? Should I give more thoughts on it? I didn't write that tweet. What? Mm-hmm. Who? Mm-hmm. Who? You're you're a fake. <laughs> you're a phony. You're a Twitter phony. Uh. So, one of the things that's been on my list is that I have to get more of my YouTube videos, my blog posts. They have to get reshared on my social media accounts. Like I have a lot of, of content that just needs to get like redistributed, right? Like most of my videos don't really go out of, uh, they're what you'd call evergreen, you know? So anyway, um, with someone who used to work for me is helping me with my social media and really just like reposting. So when you, in the future, when you see one of my YouTube videos get posted to my thing, it's because she is helping me put those into a social media scheduler, which are just like once in a while, recirculate an old YouTube video. So someone will see it on Twitter. Right. Right. So in her, uh, in her work, helping me get up and running with it yesterday, I was like, yeah, you know, like you can post like whatever. And so she posted like a couple little things and that was one of them. And it's very strange that you picked it out because I didn't actually write that, which is actually funny because her and I have known, I, I trained her since she was, 15 and she's now 23 um so we're close we've known each other a long time so i actually think it's a really funny experiment to see if anyone would ever know i'm like you can try to be dan to see if you could ever identify a tweet that she she might write but in general that's a really rare occasion like i'm not she's not really gonna be tweeting for me she's just gonna be like helping me repost my content which is like hey in this video You'll see a curveball, you know, you'll learn how to throw a curveball and this, 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 you know, click below those things, which, you know, just like any other like news source. So you'll still get Dan content. Like I'll still be on Twitter. It's actually the only one I'm actually active on. But anyway, so just kind of funny. That makes me laugh that of the literally the one thing that she tweeted that wasn't an article um, that you picked it out. I'm all over it. You're all over it. And I'm, I, have a, I have a great topic. I want to talk about it. I think it's well, great. Well, and this is going to help us too because we don't recirculate our old uh, uh, brushback episodes very well because we're both just like stretched for time. Always. And all these things like, you, you know, at the end of the day, you just get stretched a little thin where you need to uh, figure out what your priorities are. I could like sit down and like carve out three hours a week to 
get my social media stuff out there, but it's just like not the best use of my time. Like I, I have other stuff that's important to me that only I can do that I need to get done. And that's just like where we're at right now. So anyway, my, let me tell you my worst post game meal, my rookie <laughs> season, we were in Chicago at playing the windy city Thunderbolts team after the last, it was the getaway day, which is means the last day before you leave town or the right. day you, you do leave town. So our, you know, in the frontier league, they often don't feed you well after games. And this was no step. So no exception. So, we were getting on the bus to go like five hours to Kalamazoo, Michigan, five or six. And so we needed to be fed well because we were just getting right on the bus right afterwards and we were going to be driving overnight, arriving at like four or 5 a.m. And it was like the most disgusting meal I'd ever seen. It was, it was like out of the frozen, it was out of the freezer section in the grocery store. It was like TV, like TV dinners essentially. Ugh. And it was like, perp- I, I, all I remember was like purple meats floating in like purple gravy. That's literally, I just looked at them like, I am absolutely not eating this. Like I was starving. Ew. And I, I don't know if I pitched that night, but it was disgusting. I'm like, I'm not, I'm just absolutely not putting that in my body. And uh, we were all pissed. And the problem is some towns and Kalamazoo, Michigan was one of them, like, we were, we just had to get on the bus. You usually get down like an hour down the road or two hours down the road before you stop. Right. Just like get some of the trip done. So we didn't really have anything to eat on like after the game. And then we get two hours down the road. Now it's 1am and some small towns, there's just, isn't anything open. And that's quickly what it became. So we pulled into Kalamazoo at like four in the morning and we were like, we need food and literally nothing was open. So we pulled into McDonald's that was 24 hours, but it was only drive through and our, our assistant coach went over and begged them uh, to serve us. And we sat in the bus for probably an hour before finally they came back out with 50, maybe 50 or 60 double cheeseburgers and like 50 orders of fries. And that was actually the first time and only time I've ever eaten a McDonald's hamburger. What? Yep. Yep. Wait, hold on. We're talking of just a burger from McDonald's. You've yep. only first and only time, time. First and only time I've ever eaten a McDonald's burger. Where, where do I begin? What? Dude, as a what? kid, I, as a kid, I was kind of a picky eater, so I'd always choose like chicken rather than like, dude. McDonald's burgers look disgusting. Let's just be honest here. Let's, like as a kid, I was talking. like, screw that. I'm not, I'm not eating that sausage weirdness the, patty. It's disgusting. It doesn't look like real so meat. Wh- when's the last time Awful. you had McDonald's? That day. That night. That's oh, the last, last time? time you- no, 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 that's not true. Uh, their chicken nuggets are still amazing every every now and again. I don't ever want to go there because number one, McDonald's is expensive. It's like what? sneaky expensive these days. Not really. Yes, it is. If you get a normal, Double like one of their decent sandwich, if you're not ordering off the dollar menu, it, it gets expensive in a, in a hurry. It really does. It's surprising. <laughs> you is- can't you can't get out of there if you get like a normal like meal. If you get a combo meal, you can't get out of there for less than eight bucks, nine bucks. That's the climate of the world these days. Steak and, steak and shake is still the best value anywhere. Actually a good fast food mm. burger that's actually real meat and that's actually delicious and legit. I miss steak and shake every day of my life. Every day of my life. What? But yeah, I, never, I just never wanted, to eat, I never wanted to eat a McDonald's burger as a kid. And then when, in college, 
like, why would I then? I was very healthy eater, like crushing it in the gym, like very health and performance conscious. I don't know how McDonald's fits into that. And then in pro ball is the same thing. It's like, I've never eaten a McDonald's burger. Why am I going to start now? So I had a similar experience in Indy just this past week. Uh, I was down there Wednesday. We had a 9.15 start time on Wednesday night for a game. So game gets over. I don't know. I didn't get out of the field until probably like 12.15. Like the game game went long. Um, I'm driving back to the hotel in small town Indiana. Nothing to eat. I had not eaten since we had a doubleheader. So I had not eaten since like, I don't know, 2 o'clock. And I'm driving past the hotel, and there's a McDonald's there. And it's the only thing open, like not even like a gas station, nothing. So I go to the drive-thru, and I order, I don't know, like a chicken sandwich, fries, and a and like a iced tea or something. <laughs> I get up there. Mind you, McDonald's, if there's one thing that McDonald's does, it makes their food quickly, throws it out the window, and gets you on your way. No, 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 sir. Not in Fishers, Indiana. Fishers, Indiana, I was sitting there waiting to order for like eight minutes before someone came on the speaker with about 10 cars in front of me. So the whole process took a, a legitimate 30 minutes for me to, or from or, pulling up to order to getting food. So by the time I get up to the window, I'm standing there, nobody comes to the window. And then this guy comes up and he's like, have you paid? <laughs> I was, I'm like, I was like, no, man, I, I haven't paid yet. And so I give him a card, I pay, gives me a drink, gives me a bag. It doesn't occur to me to check because at that point I had been there forever. So I drive away. <laughs> I put the straw in the drink. I had a, it was a Dr. Pepper, which was not part of the order. It was a, uh, a Big Mac and an apple pie. <laughs> So nothing even remotely close to what I ordered was put into that bag or into that cup and given to me. I'm not even sure what I paid for. I don't know if I paid for somebody else's meal or if I paid for what I actually ordered, but it was an odd McDonald's experience for a place that if nothing else is usually pretty regimented in how they get you through the line and get you out. Hilarious. Well, that, is, that is what made them famous. McDonald's invented that whole system. Automated fast, system, yeah. Fast food is, yeah, I mean hilarious yeah was, um <laughs> the dr pepper threw me off when i took a drink of it the doctor well the two the two best in the industry at, at actually being quick on fast food is chick-fil-a and portillo's most people don't know portillo's unless you're a chicago area within like a two mile two hour radius yeah. but portillo's is pretty very good about their communication and their flow through employees it's not always super fast because their food is, you know, it's a little more made to order. It's not like fast food, but Portillo is a, is a pretty impressive operation, I would say. Although I will say that their yeah. Bloomington normal location sucks. The quality control there is just not good. But their Chicago locations are always great. It's a very popular place in Chicago. Not my favorite, but it's definitely consistent. Well, that's the thing I miss about the Midwest is, is Italian beef. It's a great food. If you're ever out there... Find yourself a Portillo's, an Al's beef, either are good. Man. Bring it over. Yeah. I'll bring I'll bring you I'll bring you a whole bag, a greasy bag full of them. So are you doing anything to watch this MLB stuff or what? It's MLB stuff. No, I mean the only way the only reason I caught the game is because we were sitting at a 
like a, a grill, bar and grill, and it was on the bar TV between games, watching. And I actually asked the guy behind the – I said, is this live or is this – I didn't know what I was watching. Like it was – like I said, Mets – I think it was Mets Yankees game on, and then there was yeah. like Cardinals Reds on somebody Cardinals yeah, with somebody. The, so they're exhibition games, right? Yeah, and it just like they had the tents. They honestly had like the the travel ball parent tents. The that in the stands, like some half the players were sitting in the stands, so they weren't in the dugout. It was unwatchable, unwatchable baseball. Like I, I. I had no interest. The only interest I had were the cardboard cutouts in the stands. Like that was very interesting to me trying to figure out who those people were. Were they celebrities? Cause it's New York city. Were they the, were they the fans? Were they just people they found on the internet? Who, who are these people? Were they employees? That's the only thing I was asking about. I didn't watch one pitch. I didn't care to watch it. I mean, it was, there's, uh, there's no, I have no interest. I really don't. Maybe it'll be more interest when the games matter if it's like playoff time. Like I love playoff baseball. That's that is why you watch baseball. I mean, playoff baseball to me, like in a regular season, is the best. The games are staggered. Like you get to watch a lot of competitive, strategic, very talented laden baseball games in a short period of time. Whereas the day-to-day baseball gets monotonous because the guys get days off. Like you don't necessarily see those high profile matchups. Like Yankees Mets still might not feature both teams starting lineups in both aces. You could see a spot start. You could see a bullpen day. You could see Aaron Judge and you know Derek Jeter sitting out. Whatever. I just have no interest. Um, maybe I'm in. Maybe I'm in the minority because live sports are back, and that's just something finally to watch. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, you can't go out to a bar to watch it. Well, I guess you can, but. I don't. I'm, I haven't been to an indoor restaurant yet. I don't really haven't have like strong plans to do so. I don't own a TV. I actually have never owned a TV as an adult. Um, I'll send you. Let me so send not, you. No, I don't. I don't like. I don't like the ritual of sitting on a couch and watching TV. Obviously, I've I've done that in my life when I lived with um, my roommate. We had a TV. Like blah 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 blah. Like I'm a normal human, but I am not motivated to get a TV. Never have been. When I, in my playing days as a, as a nomad, essentially I'd come home. You're similar to me as well. Like I, I'd come back to Chicago. I would never live at home. I'd always get an apartment, something I never, there never had television, which I felt like was great. Like now we are so cool. We're so nah, cool. You're just sitting I mean, there reading, reading philosophy, right? No, just, I was, just, I was out. And if I went to watch TV, I was at a bar watching a TV, but you could, you definitely don't realize how much time you spend watching TV when you have one. Like even, I know the phone, you know, is kind of taking place of the television, essentially like people consume YouTube and yeah. all kinds of things as on their phone, but also a good topic. Sitting, yeah. I'm I mean, planning, I'm planning something, Robert. You keep, you have these topics we can't discuss. Like the post no, email. No, we no we can no we can discuss it. Well, first the one thing I do want to discuss is do you see that Henderson Alvarez has signed um with the Milwaukee Milkmen of the American Association indie ball team? No, I don't know who that is. Henderson Alvarez was a big up and coming pitcher with the Marlins, if I'm remembering him correctly. And he was like really good, but this was like he has not been healthy since 
yeah, like 2014. He was legit, like up and comer. Like he was there with Jose, um, Jose Fernandez. He was good, like mid 90s, just filth. And then he just has like he's only made like three appearances in the last four years or something because he's been hurt. Oh, I see but, it here. Uh, he's, got, he's he did that weird thing every first pitch. Do, um, do you know that? Do you know? I about don't this? specifically remember, but I mean, he was an All Star in 2014 in Miami, 265 year A. I mean, he was good. So it just it's just funny that people. And then the other one that I found interesting is Brian Shaw got released by the Rockies. You know who Brian really? Shaw's. Oh yeah, he was with the Indians when they had their when they almost won the World Series when the Cubs beat them. When they just had the filthiest bullpen of all time, they had. Uh, Andrew Miller. I can't remember the other guy who threw the, the curveball. That was like 82. And they had Brian Shaw, who was just run out there throwing 95 mile per hour cutters. Yeah. And last year, Brian Shaw's year was like 5.9 ERA. I think people just at oftentimes forget how hard it is to be a major leaguer. One, from an injury standpoint, you can just be legit and just be left behind. Like if you just can't go out there and pitch, like obviously that seems obvious, but there are way more players who, if you really think hard, you're like, oh, yeah, what happened to that guy? What happened to that guy? What happened to that guy? They just had a bad year or two, whether it was for injuries or performance, and then they're just like, you never hear from them again. They just, like, slip off into the wilderness like an old dog, you know? And old um, dog. Yeah, got to go find a place to curl up and go to sleep. But um, Brian Shaw, it's like, how does that happen? The dude throws – a 95 mile per hour cutter all that like how does you know what i mean and then suddenly he's like not pitching well same thing with blake trinan remember him he's still in the big leagues so he's, he's with the dodgers now but he had like a 1.8 era season right we hit, had that breakout season just throwing 97 yeah. mile per hour insane sinkers and the next year he had like a five era last year he had like a five era he had a rough season and if thing a little something little's off, like maybe you have a little nagging injury, you know, a guy can go from hitting two three hundred to two hundred and fifty. Little nagging injury, or just like something's wrong, you go from having a three ERA to a five, and suddenly your whole career is in jeopardy. Essentially, it's right. really it's a lot more. Big league careers are much more fragile than I think people realize because you kind of tend to tend to stay focused on the big names like. You know, in the, if you're in the Chicago area, like there's fixtures in the lineup, right? There's uh, Anthony Rizzo at first base. There's Chris Bryant's always there. Like you have your guys that make this team seem like the team is always moving forward. But how many guys have just been like, they're just not there anymore, right? For, for, yeah, even from exactly. recent memory, they're just gone. And you're like, oh yeah, what happened to him? He was he was good. He was like integral. And the next year, they're not even a part of it, right? Right. It's uh, it's much more fickle and fleeting than people realize. And it, so, every time I see a big name like that where it's like, oh, yeah. Like Derek Lee was, I think, one of the best ones. Derek Lee was like a all-star household name until he wasn't. And then he was gone from like one – he was like all-star household name to like two years later being gone, erased from memory. And you're like, where did Orioles. Derek Lee go? He went to the Orioles. Yeah, which is a place anyone with a career goes to die. Yeah, yeah. That's, good that old, was my good old, era. Good old hometown, yeah. That was my era. So, okay, so Brian Shaw is an interesting one because I have a question for you about this. Uh, okay. He was with Colorado, correct? Mm-hmm. So I know what you're going to ask. Go ahead. Will there ever be a successful pitcher 
in Colorado, like a Hall of Fame caliber pitcher that had plays his career in Colorado. I mean, I just looked up the Hall of Famers from Colorado Rockies, and there's only one, and it was this well, year. What I thought you were going to ask me was, did, was his cutter negatively affected by the thinner air of Colorado? And I immediately thought about that as well, but then they said they ran his numbers and he pitched better in Colorado than he did up on the road. So, so maybe that's him, not it. But That's not it, no. The, the variables are, I don't know, they're interesting. Like the best Colorado pitcher I can remember of recent memory was Ubaldo Jimenez. Yeah, as he like was also somebody. all-star, like legend, then got paid, and then was done being good. Forever. Also <laughs> forever. went to... Also the Orioles to, to the, the Orioles. Orioles. There, yep. there you go. Yep. As I'm looking through, I got an interesting trivia question for you about the Hall of Fame. So what team is Cy Young's and uh, Cy Young's cap in the Hall of Fame? The Cincinnati Barn Burners. I don't know. It is the Cleveland Spiders. I did not know that was a team. Hmm. But after he left, after he left in 1898, they went 20 and 134, <laughs> and they folded. So he essentially folded the team by leaving. Yeah, it's not a deal. Um, Greg Holland, another good one. Connor, appreciate you mentioning that. Greg Holland was another one. He's an all-star of the Royals, right? And then just like he got Tommy John, I think. And then he's been struggling to get, like, get back. I know he's with the Rockies now, I'm pretty sure, but – I mean, I just don't. I don't know if you're ever going to see a, a guy that plays his whole career and and wears a Rockies cap into into the Hall of Fame. It's almost it's going to be impossible. What about Larry Walker? But he but he's a hitter. Oh, I thought you were pitchers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be it'd be tough. They would park adjust it probably, and then FIP FIP would be an important one. This is one of the reasons that people. You know, I know there's there's some haters to the new stats and stuff, but FIP and adjusting for, for the park is important. That's a good factor. So fielding independent pitching is the three true outcomes. So walks, strikeouts, and homers allowed. And they predict pretty well, actually, what your ERA would end up being. And they can also control for ballpark variables, too. So Yeah, it just feels wild. feels wild mm-hmm. that there's going to be, like – your career just takes a nosedive. Well, and you see this. I mean, there's a lot of variables at play that people don't think about. And I'll give you another. I'll give you an example. When I was with Camden in the Atlantic League, we were not great. Like we were bottom of the barrel. But and part of this was that we had a a not good second baseman who had no range, who was also lazy. And I like him. He's a good dude. But I mean, he would have to admit what he was at that point too, which is just like I'm gonna show up and play and that's it and I'm out of shape whatever um our shortstop was good but he was older and didn't have the range of some of these other guys and the Atlantic League one of the most premium players on each team is the shortstop and I mean that in the sense that um they tended to pay their shortstops and they would get they're like big league shortstops on a bunch of Atlantic League teams right yeah and so pitching you for my team there are balls that you're like off the bat, you're like, oh, cool, double play. And then you're like, oh, that's a single. That went to the outfield. That's, like, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then you go on the road and you play some of these other teams that have like a triple-A second baseman and a triple-A shortstop and a double-A third baseman and no ground balls leave the infield. They all get <laughs> gobbled up. And I, 
my my buddy Matt Zelinski, who pitched for Somerset for like three or four years, and Matt's a really very accomplished, great pitcher. I just watched him because he was pitching against us, and I just watched him get like he had a kind of a rough inning where it was like single, single. Then he gets like a, a pop out, so it's like first and second and no one out. And then one of our guys hits an absolute piss missile into the uh, the gap between short and third. And their shortstop, who was a former big leaguer, Edwin Masonette, lays out for lays out for it, snags it, which was like, how did he get to that ball? Then shoots up to his knee, fires a missile to second base, turns double play, ends the inning. And I'm like, that scores a run for my for them if if that's my team in the field, like. You know, I, I care about my teammates in our infield, just, but just objectively, Matt's got a better ERA. And, and I was just like, thinking, I'm like, if I pitched on their team, my ERA might be half a run better, if not more than that. Like anyone's, anyone's ERA, if, they're, if they have that defense, it just improves, you know? And so he had like a three, a low three ERA that year. And I was like, dude, if you pitched, a Cam- pitched for Camden, you probably have like a three nine. Like, <laughs> it's not a knock on you. It's just like, because that ball is a single and it scores a run. And now you have uh, first and second again with one out and a run's in versus the inning's over. You know what I mean? That's a huge difference. And if that happens five or ten times during a season, that could be the difference in ten runs, you know? And that's that's a run on your ERA. So people don't appreciate that. I also realized that. And this isn't like me having sour grapes because I was almost always on losing teams and I just like did what I could do. But in college, I realized this too. Like you go play some of these big teams on like better fields with like, and you're like, yeah, if I pitch for Auburn, <laughs> the plays they make behind you, you know, compared to pitching for a small division one where our shortstop just like wasn't that good and just like didn't have very good range and our grass was super thick. So balls would kind of die. So not every ball that could be double play could become a double play. Yeah. You just start to realize like bloopers that fall in that your outfielders or infielders can't quite get. I mean, like the premium range that really high-level D1 players have is is impressive. And pro guys, that's the biggest jump in my in my opinion from college to pro is the quality of the range of infielders, especially going back on balls. And that's a thing that you've probably seen in, in, in amateur ball. How many times do guys hit balls in, in 14U baseball, 16U baseball that fall almost in the dirt? They're like 15 feet out of the infield and it falls. I know it's it makes you want to pull your hair out you're like that ball's got to be caught and I'll say that to the kids as they come in I'll be like that ball has to be caught and they're like I couldn't get to it I'm like I don't don't tell me that you couldn't get to it that ball is 20 feet out of the infield if you can't catch that ball you can't play college baseball that's what I'm telling you that ball has to be caught go find a way to catch it don't tell me you couldn't catch it I saw where it landed it, it landed embarrassingly close to the infield go catch so- that ball so I had this talk, not I guess not a talk, but I was, I was basically yelling all weekend at kids uh, at random baseball things. Um, but the, the striking thing I noticed, I was coaching 15 new baseball, so kids that just are going in their sophomore year of high school. We played a kid um, from Kentucky who's getting recruited by Vanderbilt as a shortstop. Uh, Cuban kid just came over – from, you know, just moved here a couple years ago. And I just kept telling our guys, I go, I go, is anybody watching their shortstop play? I go, he's, I go, he's bored playing against you guys. Like he is, and our team is good. Like our 15 team is a, for 
talented. Like they'll have some high level players on it, no doubt. I'm like, this kid is bored. I go for one, look at his positioning. Cause we get a lot of like, you see a lot of like 14, 15 year old kids. They get their first time on a, on a pro size diamond or at least like a college size diamond, 60, 90 diamond. And when they play shortstop or second base, they're basically playing like halfway between the infield grass and the outfield grass, mm -hmm. which is not the proper place to play. Correct. Correct. For anybody that's asking, like you play, yep, halfway on the, you play on the cut of the outfield grass and you adjust, you know, your positioning, whatever. Well, this kid was like two steps into the outfield. Granted, we were playing on turf, so he could be, but he was two steps into the outfield. Balls hit to him, and he's throwing guys out. How a normal college level shortstop would throw guys out, you know, with time to spare. And our guys are catching balls, and every play is like bang bang because they they want to take their two shuffles, pat the glove, and throw. And you see that I see it so much in all the positions. The kids literally have no idea where they should be playing. Mm -hmm. And and similar to what you said, I mean, if there's balls that go into that Bermuda Triangle of, you know, over the first baseman, second baseman's got to come over, right fielder, whatever. And so many of those balls drop barely into the outfield grass because the second baseman is in no man's land where he's playing. And the mm -hmm. first baseman is usually just standing right next to the base because he has no idea where he's supposed to play either. And the right fielder is normally – either way too deep, way too shallow, or way too close to the foul line. Like he's never in the, the vicinity of proper positioning. So the gaps are so incredibly huge in a youth game because the two corner guys are like off the line, five steps, and the center fielder's dead center directly. So the yeah. gaps are humongous. So, I mean, that's – it's part of the – it's one of the things I was I was harping on after the game – to the kids is that you don't need to like, you didn't need to be on the field the last three months to have any idea of where you should be standing on the field or where the ball should go when it's hit. And I get the, you know, try not to try not to harp on like physical mistakes because whatever, the kids haven't been playing as much. Like there's been, there's all kinds of issues going on, you know, on the physical side, but I'm glad you brought that up because it's striking. weird and it's frustrating to see that. I mean, I would say, cause I coached 15 U baseball and 14 U. man, I was like coaching two. I wasn't the, I was like head coaching for a little while, both teams uh, when we had some like staffing issues and um, I was pretty involved with both of our 14 and 15 U teams last year. And I would say 90% of teams, their shortstop and second baseman always play out of position. I'd say honestly 90%. And that's not me yep. being like a hater on like, youth coaches it's just they're either not taught or they just the coaches don't see it they don't understand that they're in the wrong position but you're right the vast majority of players play halfway the whole time which halfway is halfway between the cutout of the grass and the arc of the thing and when i asked players about this and this was i mean my first year, our first year of our, having our academy i joined up our with our 16 u team which they were a very strong team and uh same thing. Like our starting shortstop played halfway the whole time. Like like JD, that's not double play depth. I'm like, do you know where double play depth is? He's like, just like kind of like blank stare. I'm like, look, double play depth is, it's not this like magical spot, but it's basically, can you get to second base if a one hoppers hit to your to your second baseman? I mean, right. is that in general? That's like that's what it has to be, right? Because uh, my rule like, is, uh, if the ball's hit right at you, you need to be able to underhand flip. Mm-hmm. 
So that's my rule for like double play that for the kids. So like that, it might be an, it might be a step. It's so like what six steps, six steps and sticks. It's, it's six steps over and six steps back or eight steps over eight steps back essentially. Yeah. I mean, Something I, like I use, I use the cutout of, of the pitcher's mound um, to like help with a visual mm. for some of the guys. But in general, like if you get in that vicinity where you can flip it, it fine. Like you're, you're in a decent spot. But we've yeah. got guys that are just standing at their normal spots. Like they're so far. And like, look, I'm like, what kind of balls become? This is how I describe. I'm like, what kind of balls become double plays? They're like, well, hard hit ground balls, right? I'm like, slow hit ground, slow hit ground balls. You get one out max. Medium ground balls, you sometimes get two, but usually you get one. Hard hit ground balls that are pretty close to you, those are double play balls. So I'm like, if it's hit hard to you, you're gonna get, you're gonna have it in your mitt in a. In a quarter of a second half a second and at that point what needs to happen you need to get rid of it to second base as fast as you can which means he has to be there by that point or be very close so i'm like so basically you have to be close enough to second base whether you're shortstop or second baseman to be there in a in one second right like that's the standard like if you're and if you're way over in the hole and it takes you two seconds to get there you can't turn that old play so it's not double play depth right right that's the theory of it. That's why you have to play closer. So you can be there when that missiles hit your second baseman. But yeah, they don't have, and then they're cutting down the range playing halfway and more bloopers are falling in. And it, it's honestly baffling how often kids are playing out of position in the infield. They just like, don't know. And then third baseman playing two steps from the bag on a lefty. It's like, dude, how like are you really protecting the line? Like is your, well, your, your, your grandma is like your, is your grandma on a lawn chair next to third base that so you got to be there to protect her? It's not even the line. Like I I moved our third baseman in like two steps into the grass, and they're like freaking out. I'm like, it's a lefty leadoff guy. I go if he hits the ball at you, what, it's not going to be a screamer. Like he's not turning on it. He's just slapping it at you. I go, mm -hmm. I go. I'm more concerned with the bunt. I'm more concerned about this kid laying one down than I am him turning on it. Plus, they're going to hit one into the shortstop, you know, the the five six hole, ten times more often. They're going to fillet one yeah. behind you down the line, like literally, probably ten to one ratio of balls into that gap than that gap. Also, the so, phrase "no no doubles" means it means it means anything it means and nothing, nothing now. It means yeah. nothing to anybody, which is annoying because I like to say it because it makes total sense, and you get, there's nothing I can say because they don't understand it. How do you feel about no doubles defense? Do you do you participate in it? I participated in it uh, with the infielders, like the corner guys, because I would prefer balls not get down the line. Because a lot of kids are a lot of kids when they hit, like younger guys, especially the the better hitters with quick hands, like they will turn on balls and they will smoke them down the line for doubles. I mean, the outfield guys, I'd prefer to just keep them straight up, make your plays, you mm -hmm. know. I don't want to. I don't want your backs against the wall. It's not like our guys come in yeah. on the ball any better than they go back on the ball. So it's especially yeah. at youth level. Agreed. But, yeah, the, the field the field dimensions never almost never make sense to really go back that far. No, because then you end up just exposing so much of the field to you know, every blooper falls in. You know, if you get way to the lines, every you know medium fly ball into the gap falls in, and then you're right. just like you're in the same position where all right, now they're maybe going to steal second base. It was a double anyway. So, yeah. Well, we had a ball hit this this weekend where it was just hit at the left fielder, essentially like two steps to his left, and the kid just never stopped, took second base, no problem. And I was like – I was baffled. Like, I, you don't see that. 
at higher level baseball. Like you don't see singles yeah. just they're, mm-hmm. like you didn't stretch it into a double. The game length. is just so much slower, and yeah. you, you you fail to appreciate how fast the game is in college and pro ball. I remember after watching 15U all summer, we went to an Indianapolis Indians game, which is AAA. And like start to finish, it's like so fast. I mean, they hit, they hit, they hit the ball to the wall and just the play is over in seven seconds. The guy's staying on second base. Whereas you get a double in, in 15U baseball, it's like a 20-second affair. Everyone's just trot, <laughs> like trotting around. Like the throw comes in. It's, hard. It's, just, it's just like so much faster. It's crazy fast in pro ball. Just start to finish every play. Just yeah, the ball, ball speeds, running speeds. The slow guys are faster than your fast guys in in high school. It's uh, it's crazy. But but yeah, I mean the 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 no doubles thing is is fundamentally different in in like co- high level college or pro ball because guys can hit it over their head. And so if it's like two to one the eighth, you might have the outfielders play in a position where it's like, hey, if it's over your head, it's a home run. Yeah, that way they're going to give up those couple singles knowing that, hey, two singles isn't going to score a run here. And we've got one of our best pitchers in. So if we're going to play back a little bit to avoid the double where they can then bunt them over and then sack them in, that makes a little more sense because now force them to get three singles to beat us. But in, in amateur baseball where they're not going to hit a ball over your head very often anyway, it doesn't make sense to start putting guys that far out because it's almost yeah. impossible to reach as it is. And it just it ends up screwing you over. So. But you're like coaching to the other uh, lesser skills, like taking an angle to the ball, like a ground ball in the gap. Because I've seen like our, even our best outfielder, like straight across, they miss the ball by two steps and then it's straight back to the fence. And it's a home mm-hmm. run. Like it's a home yeah, it run sucks. essentially at that yeah. point. And you, the, the one thing I have trouble with teaching-wise is cutoffs. Because you can't teach proper cutoffs – with some of the arms that a lot of these kids have where especially on like a ball in the gap. Like I'm just basically hoping that they give the ball to my shortstop. Who's got the strongest arm. Like he's the only kid who can make a throw from outside of 120 feet. That'll get to a spot like maybe on a line. You know, we do a lot of like, you know, pregame infield outfield stuff at practice. And it's, you know, you hit a ground, you know, single to left field, cut four and it's supposed to be the third baseman. Well, if the third baseman stands where he's supposed to stand, the ball's never going to get to him. So like the third baseman ends up having to go out to be the cutoff guy. And it just turns into like an ugly form of, of what you would consider proper baseball. Yeah. It's like trying to, you know, until they become teenagers, I feel like my, my rule, my basic rule is the shortstop's to cut on every single play unless it's down the right field line. Then the second baseman can go be the cut. Everything else, second baseman, everybody covers their base. Shortstop has no base. He goes be cut. And he, I don't know how else to teach it when there's – I mean, there's literally kids that can't make the throw 100 feet. Like we, You need like three guys. It's like a relay, a relay race to get the ball in. And it's, it's very frustrating to watch. It's also not their fault. Like they're young. I get it. But you still – like – how do you you balance teaching them the proper way versus teaching them like what the, what they could actually do? Yeah. Got a, got a, got a question. Are double cuts not a thing in baseball? They're not a thing in higher level baseball. Cause once you have a strong enough arm to throw at 180 feet, 
you know, off, you know, off your back leg, picking it up off the fence, which, which takes more arm strength than just like being able to crow hop it. Right. Right. Once you can chuck it 180 feet, picking it up and turning double cuts don't exist anymore. So, no, I mean, they exist in the sense that the second baseman is always going to be like a trail guy on a bad throw. Mm-hmm. And that's, and he's really just, he's just, a, he's not a double cut. Like he's not a good, he's never going to receive the baseball as part of the cut play. Yeah. Hopefully not. Which he shouldn't in youth baseball either. He's just a backup guy on a bad throw, which happens a lot more in youth. So like you really do need it. Um, but no, they're not like a thing. Like the, the shortstop should be able to handle even a bad throw unless it's over his head. Mm-hmm. So essentially, I mean, if you make a bad throw, you're really not getting anybody out anyways. So you're just risking like the double being turned into a double plus one base. But it's really not a, it's not a thing. It's a thing we work on a lot, but it's not. Once you get to a, a level of professional baseball where guys throw hard enough to, uh, to make people watch division one low, you know, minor leagues, there's no double cuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah, the, I mean, no, there isn't. I mean, why would you have a second cutoff, man? I mean, center fielder can hit the shortstop in the chest from anywhere, anywhere, and the shortstop's got a cannon. Right. So there just doesn't need to be another person in between that. But, I mean, the biggest thing with cuts for us, for all, I mean, younger ages, like they don't know which – they don't know how to orient themselves, and that just takes feel and time and being a good athlete of, you know – watching the throw drifting over there so you can receive it on your glove side and make a quick turn. And we worked on that in our throwing routines, but so many kids just like, okay, I got it. And then they just wheel around 180 degrees and it takes forever. (laughs) And, uh, it's, it's really impressive. And these are things that people don't really watch or they don't really see. Um, when they're watching baseball, I think the things that get missed that unless someone alerts you to look at them, some well, a couple of prominent ones are catcher receiving, like what catchers do with their mitt before the pitch comes and how they move through it. That's something that you will never see that as a casual fan until someone points it out to you because you just like won't think to like really examine what they're doing and why. Another one is infield positioning as far as like the third baseman and the first baseman, like where they're shading left and right. Because they go, I mean, third baseman and first baseman are very far into the hole, right? Depending on the handedness of the hitter in the situation where people don't really they don't really see that. And especially younger players playing third base, like they're always close to third base where it's like, no dude, you can be 20 feet off and deep into the hole because again, the odds of them hitting it backhand between the line is very slim. And then the other one is just how good shortstops and second basemen are at, at receiving cutoffs on the right side, on the correct side of their body and making this just like lightning fast glove side turn to the next target. Right. Because that's something you only like. You don't think about it in pro ball; it's just automatic. But then when you go back to youth baseball, and you're like, "Oh, these kids don't know how to do that. We need to work on it." You know, then you start to coming from the pro game without being an active coach. There's a lot of stuff you do you take for granted. Sure. This was a learning curve for me in my first two year, couple years back, where it's like, "Oh yeah, we got to work on that because they're terrible at it. Because maybe they've never been taught that before, or it just gets overlooked, right?" And um, I mean, you lose games that way sometimes. I mean, it's hard to blame any a a loss on any one thing, but when it's like you know guys wheeling around third, like you're hoping to get them at home, and then you see your your shortstop like catch it at his chest and then turn and throw, and then he's safe by a step. You're like, damn it! If that if that turn was better, he's out. 
which is 100% true. You get a stronger, you get a stronger throw off because you're already moving your body glove side and it's faster. It's like glove to hand. It's right. It's already out on its way again. So that's something you have to practice. I know a lot of youth teams do practice that, but it's, 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 it's not second nature because you've got to be a good, uh, like when that throws coming in from the outfielder and it's hanging up in the air on its way to use a shortstop, you got to what? Just start to like figure out where you got to go. Almost like an outfielder tracking the ball. Right. I mean, you're a shortstop, right? Just kind of instincts and just like reading them. It's there's so many things in youth baseball. It's like you watching it and like, this should be done a little bit better. Yeah. Well, Bob, I think we're going to wrap for the day, but uh, we talked about a lot of nonsense that wasn't useful to anyone early on. And then we got into some good baseball stuff later. So feels like the if we had anyone, show. if we had anyone still listening after talking about fast food and nostril breathing, then they got a, a lot of good inf- infield info today, but chances are we lost all of our listeners early going off topic. So no yeah. doubt. Well, well Bobby, I hope you have a litigation free couple Tuesday. days and, until, yeah. uh, until Friday. And if you're out there listening, thanks for being here. Be sure to leave us a review, share this, share the show. Um, and we will see you here on Friday for the morning brush back. See ya.